Hear the word of God as it is found in the Acts of the Apostles, the 11th chapter, beginning to read at the 19th verse. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to none except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number that believed turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a large company was added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the company and taught a large company of people. And in Antioch, the disciples were for the first time called Christians. Amen and amen. No matter which plateau of life we find ourselves today, there is one more graduation, one more, at least, that every one of us will partake. And yes, I mean that commencement which will come to us individually when the school of life for us has ended and we stand before the Lord to receive our master's degree. Now the Bible tells us that on that day our master can confer all sorts of degrees, and he will, some favorable and some not so favorable. We're also told in the Bible that the greatest degree that he can confer on any person is when he calls that person good. That's the highest degree that God can confer, calling a person good. Now, the Bible also tells us that by the grace of God, we can help to earn that degree. And I believe we can look to such a one as our good friend St. Barnabas, who the Bible calls a good man, to find how we do it. And when we look at this forefather of the faith, we see that Barnabas was an individual who passed and practiced that very difficult examination in stewardship. 
He was a man who understood the meaning of and practiced the doctrine, the teachings, the course in stewardship. He was one of those individuals who believed that God owns everything and that we as individuals use only that which God has entrusted to us to help him to build a bigger, brighter, more blessed, beautiful world. See, the first time that we run into St. Barnabas is back in the fourth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. He is in Jerusalem. It is after the time of Pentecost. Now, whether or not Barnabas was there when the Holy Spirit revealed himself in this new way, I don't know. But I do know this, that after Pentecost, St. Barnabas was an individual who claimed the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit. He knew that he had been baptized with this presence and power of God. The early church was a growing church, but it was also a church that had great financial difficulty. Many people were coming into the church daily, but many of them were coming in and as a result were being thrown out of their own homes. Parents would disown them because of their new belief. Many of them were fired from their jobs because they became followers of the way. And there were many people within the young growing church that needed support if they were going to make it. And here we find Barnabas without any prompting from any preacher whatsoever. Goes out sells one of his expensive fields and he takes the money and he brings it and he lays it at the feet of the apostles. I'm sure there are many people that came to Barnabas afterward and thanked him for his generosity. I'm sure there are many people who came and expressed appreciation for this charitable act, but Barnabas really didn't think he had done anything special or spectacular. He had merely done what every good person does. And that is practice what he has learned about the very difficult doctrine of stewardship. This doctrine, you see, many people don't understand it, and those who do don't like to acknowledge it. It is the basic understanding of what the Bible teaches is that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and everything is owned by God. That every day that is given is given by the grace of God. And for each one of us, there will be a day when we will not awaken. Every talent that you and I possess, these are gifts of God. Every ability that you and I have to earn it all, that is a gift of God. And that gift, God can stop at any time. God owns our home. It's just not the mortgage company and our efforts. It's God who owns our homes. God owns our property. God owns this church. God owns you and he owns me. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are individuals who what with us, whatever we have, we have it because of God's goodness. If you have any talent, any brain power, any beauty, 
any power whatsoever. That is a gift from God entrusted to you. And God trusts us so much that he does bless us and give unto us days, talents, dollars. And God expects us to use those gifts efficiently and effectively to bring happiness, joy, blessing, brightness, a more beautiful experience to this world. Yeah. And God will loan these to us only for a season. And the Bible tells us that someday every one of us will have to give an account of every day, every talent, every dollar we have had entrusted to us. Barnabas knew that. He understood it. And he practiced it. And he passed the course, the very difficult course in stewardship. How do you do it? The same way the Bible tells us we are to do it. At least in the area of money, the principle is that you take 10% and you lay it at the feet of the church. You give it away. This gives you the ability to acknowledge the ownership of God and remind you of the fact that this is not your own, but you give only what has first been given unto you. And you acknowledge your stewardship through the tithe. We have many Presbyterians who don't understand that. They'll say to me, Dick, that's an Old Testament teaching. That's right. But I want to remind you that in the New Testament, Jesus Christ never supersedes or sets aside the law of tithing. <coughs> tithing is a simple principle which is very difficult to fulfill, but which is a very basis for understanding the proper use of stewardship. You're a steward. I recommend this to you young people at this early stage in your life, I suggest with that first paycheck you get, you tithe it to the Lord. Because if you don't do it now, the chances are you'll never do it. I know many a prosperous Presbyterian who feels he makes too much money now and cannot afford to give that to the Lord, who is given unto him or her all things. I recommend that to you because I am of the firm belief that an individual will never receive the degree of goodness from our Master until he or she has first become proficient in the art of stewardship. That's a strong statement. But I make it with the realization that the love of money is not only the root of all evil, but an understanding of who you are as a steward is the basic root for the value system of life that God intends for each one of us. Unless you understand that, you may miss the Master's degree of goodness. He passed by practicing stewardship. And he failed not in his faith. That's the second thing that St. Barnabas did. He failed not in his faith. He had a faith in God, but what is more important perhaps, he had faith the kind that God likes best, faith in his fellow man. 
St. Barnabas believed in people. And one of the great things that I enjoy about our close proximity and relationship with St. Barnabas Free Home over in Meridian Road is that it is an organization which traditionally has had faith in people. And that's what it's about. St. Barnabas, the man, exemplified this faith when a young upstart by the name of Saul was causing all sorts of problems to the people of the church. And one day this young upstart was on his way to Damascus, or on his way to Damascus to persecute the people who were the followers of Jesus. And on the turnpike to Damascus, suddenly something happened. He came into a personal confrontation to, with Jesus Christ. He was knocked to his knees. He became temporarily blinded. And when his sight was restored, he began to see things in a new way through God's eyes. And when he got back to Jerusalem, though, he was in a terrible plight. Who would have him? The people who sent him to Damascus, they didn't want him. He was a traitor, a turncoat. They didn't trust him. And our predecessor, the early Christians, <laughs> they didn't take him in. They should have, but they didn't because they were afraid of him. Oh, he had done horrible things to some of them. He had persecuted them. He put some of them in jail. The relatives of Stephen, whom he stoned, I'm sure didn't want to even say hello to him. Nobody wanted anything to do with Saul except one individual, Barnabas. And we read in the ninth chapter that Barnabas went to Paul, Saul. He talked to him. He listened to him. He believed the seriousness of his conversion. He believed that it was genuine. So he staked his name his reputation, his own life, and the life of his church on Saul. And he invited him into the fellowship. Do you realize where we might be today if a church, if Barnabas had not befriended Saul, Saul who later became Paul, the first missionary and the greatest missionary we've ever known and one who is supposed to have written about half of the New Testament. <laughs> Barnabas never failed in having faith in people. And this came true also with young John Mark. Paul and Barnabas felt called to go on a missionary journey and they took a young chap with them by the name of John Mark. He probably wasn't as old as most of you graduating seniors, but he was a mama's boy. Hadn't yet learned how to cut the apron strings. And he wasn't gone too long with Paul and Barnabas when suddenly he got homesick. The opposition got to be a little bit too strong. He chickened out and he went back home. And when Paul and Barnabas returned from that trip and told about all the glorious adventure, the only black mark and sad happening in the whole trip was that John Mark had deserted them and come back home. And nobody talked about that. Shortly after that first trip, Paul suggested Barnabas, let's go on another one. Let's take a second missionary journey. Good idea, Paul, and we'll take John Mark with us. Uh-uh, says Paul. No, sir, Eve, I've had my fill of that young upstart. We're not going to take him. 
If we take him, we won't make it. Oh, come on. Paul, have a heart. Give the kid a break. Uh-uh, says Paul. If you want to take him, fine and dandy, but don't count me in. And we all know the result, the very tragic thing that happened in history. Paul and Barnabas split. The greatest missionary team that the world has ever known over John Mark. And Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And Paul took Silas and went in another direction. It's very difficult at times to befriend friends, especially when they don't befriend you. But it usually pays off. Paul found that out. For later on when he's in prison and is writing his second letter to young Timothy, he says when he needs help, trusted friends and support. He says to Timothy, bring John Mark with you, for he's a great help to me in ministry. Paul changed his mind, but it was not easy for that man to believe in people. It wasn't easy for him, as easy as it seems to be for Barnabas, to have faith in fellow men. Is going to be very difficult for some of you. Because one of the things that I find in life, it's very easy to disbelieve in God, but it's even more easier to disbelieve in people. Yeah. People are going to give you every justification in the world not to believe in them. They're going to betray you, desert you, run away from you, do everything in their power so that you might hate them and despise them and to consign them to all sorts of horrible things. Don't do it. Don't do it. It'll be hard not only on them, but it'll be hard on you because an individual to receive his master's degree must be an individual who fails not in his faith towards people. That's one of the reasons why it's so interesting to pass first the examination in stewardship because you will find the easiest way to lose your faith in people is with the fact that they cost too much. They cost too much in time. They cost too much of your money. They cost too much in terms of suffering. But when you understand the concept of Christian stewardship, they don't cost you anything. They're costing God. It's God's time, money, effort that they're wasting. And that's really not your business. That's God's business. And when you have that understanding, you see, then it's much easier to fail not in having faith with people. And he mastered and majored in mission. That's the wonderful thing about Barnabas. He caught what so many of us in the church try to talk about. He majored in mission. We read this in the 11th chapter of Acts. Here it is, this man. He's in the church at Jerusalem. Word has come to the church in Jerusalem. 
that there are some Christians forming together down there in Antioch. You see, at the time of the great persecution of Stephen, it looked like the church's blackest moment, but it turned out to be one of the greatest blessings. Usually black moments are the times of our greatest moments. What was happening was that through that persecution, the church scattered. People ran away out of fear, but wherever they settled, they began to start new churches. And probably the one that was growing the fastest and the biggest was the one down there at Antioch. Well, there were some people in the church of Jerusalem, just like there are people in every Christian church today, they didn't like that idea of some foreigners coming in to their church. They were very upset to hear that people other than people they knew were coming into the church of Jesus Christ. So they sent Barnabas down to investigate. And Barnabas went down, and lo and behold, it looked like it was kosher. It looked like it was right what it should be. The people seemed to be happy. The people seemed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says Barnabas saw that it was good, and he was glad, and he went to work to help build up the Antiochian Christian church. Before long, he began to realize, hey, they need a leader here. Somebody who was strong, somebody who had a Jewish background, yet would be able to deal with the Gentiles on their own terms. Somebody who had a ready mind, a quick tongue, somebody who was, who was strong and forceful. Who can I get, thought Barnabas, and his mind raced back nine years before. Yes, that's the amount of time that separates the ninth from the eleventh chapter of Acts. He thinks back nine years before when he met a young man who seemed to be a threat to the church, yet if he could be turned around in the right way completely, he would be the most dynamic dynamo that that church has ever known. He wondered what happened to Saul. He remembered that he had gone to Tarsus. So after nine years, Barnabas goes to Tarsus. And he finds Saul, whose name now has been changed by God to Paul, a man who's been preparing for nine years to be ready at the right time, the right moment, in the right place to be God's right person. And Barnabas brings him back to Antioch, and the two of them there for one year work in the church, and they began the movement which we know as the missionary movement a movement that has been going on for 2,000 years which eventually brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the shores of America, a movement which began this very church 107 years ago, a movement of which we are still a part as we try to go out into the world to tell God's word to people to tell people that God created them, that God loves them, God has redeemed them through Jesus Christ, and God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, has great things in store for them today. That's what it's all about. Young folks and old folks, we're here on this earth just not to sit in a pretty church on Sunday, a church that has a large staff and well-paid. You're not here just to sit on your whatever you sit on, you're not here just to take it easy, drink beer, smoke stuff, shoot speed, and let other people take care of you. God has entrusted you with the preciousness of life. 
for one reason, to help him build a bigger, blessed, brighter, more beautiful world. That's why you're here. That's why any one of us is here. And our job is just not to build churches, drive big cars, live in big homes. But our job is to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, preach good news to those who are in prison, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's it. That's why we're here. And to gain the master's degree, one has to major every day in mission. And one more thing I want to tell you about Barnabas. Barnabas was not always his name. No. If you had gone back to Cyprus, look for his birthplace, thank the people of his town for sending them Barnabas, they wouldn't know who you were talking about. No, back home he was known as Joseph. His name was changed by the apostles. The apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, son of consolation, son of encouragement, son of comfort. As a matter of fact, William Barclay points out that the name Barnabas comes from the same Greek root, root word that Jesus used when he spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit, who was called the Holy Comforter, Counselor, Strengthener. And the reason Barnabas got this name was simply, as we read in the Scripture today, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. You know how you get full of the Holy Spirit? Not by attending conferences, praying for the Holy Spirit, but by realizing the Holy Spirit is present and you become filled with the Holy Spirit when you are willing to empty the self of yourself. When you are willing to quit worrying about money, what you have and what you don't have. When you are quit worrying about how many people are using you, taking advantage of you, stealing from you. When you quit worrying about yourselves and start getting concerned about the world, that's when you become filled with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you find joy in life, a joy that comes and brings with it a peace and a power, and which enables you to know that your labor is not in vain. Because one day you shall receive the Master's degree, the greatest of which is when he says to you and to me, Well done, well done, thy good and faithful servant. It'll be a great graduation day, and I plan on seeing many of you there. Amen.